Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to another edition of Backstage Chicago. I'm Lisa Fielding with WBBM News Radio, And today we are in Oak Park at the Academy of Movement and Music. And we're going to talk about the Momenta Dance Company in just a moment. But I have three guests today. Welcome Esther Grimm, uh, Robbie Lee Williams, and Brian Belcom. Thank you so much. And Esther, we're here to talk about three arts. And it's something that maybe not many people have heard of or know about. So that's what we're going to talk about. And I know uh, Robbie and Brian are part of it and have benefited from it. So we're going to hear their stories as well and how it's really contributed to the arts and culture scene in Chicago. So welcome, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Uh, Esther, kind of tell me about yourself and uh, how you got involved with Three Arts. I know that you you dip your toe in a lot of things in the arts and culture world. Well, that's a long story, Lisa, because <laughs> this is, I've just entered my 20th year as the executive wow. director of Three Arts. Um, although Three Arts itself is well over 100 years old, we were the mm. Three Arts Club of Chicago, founded in 1912 by the social justice activist Jane Addams and 31 other women leaders in the city. And I won't even tell you all that because we'll be here all day. <laughs> um, and I joined um, 20 years ago, as I said. But it's the 15th year of operating, as you know, Three Arts today as a nonprofit grant-making arts support organization that is grounded in racial, gender, and disability justice. Okay, and it's something that we all know is needed, of course. Why is it needed more now than ever, you think? Well, I don't know if I can speak for everyone, but I think almost everyone. And I can tell you that in the last couple of years during the pandemic, I survived and actually thrived because of the work that artists make being able to watch dance online, theater, read books, see movies, experience music, storytelling, all of that really kept my hope alive. So I think there's no time like right now. Of course, there was no time like three years ago either um, to support artists. Though. A new Perhaps, yeah, I hope so. I've said this to every single interview I've done in the last few months, but you know, we took it for granted probably you know, in 2019, but now we have it back. It's a new appreciation. And I think you just brought that up for sure. Yeah. You're finding that that's the case. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, when we first started this organization, Three Arts, about 15 years ago, um, that is Three Arts as we know it now, a lot of people were sort of like, well, why should we support individual artists? Can't they just get jobs? Can't they just do what they do? And now there's way fewer questions on that topic. You know, it's like, I totally get it. Artists need our support, especially now when so many artists have lost their livelihoods during mm. this pandemic. And how does this all work? 
all of it being three arts. Yes. I can't tell you how everything works, but <laughs> trade um, secrets. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, I think what we're known for are the three arts awards. These are $10,000, $30,000 unrestricted awards that go to artists each year. Um, but that's just the top of the iceberg. Because once you receive an award through our organization, whether it's that one or our Next Level Spare Room Awards, which are $50,000 awards, or our two to $4,000 awards that are called Make a Wave, you become part of the Three Arts Network. And right now we've got, I think, more than 500 artists in the network, um, which means that we're giving more than just that cash infusion that every artist in our network can apply for international residency fellowships, local residency fellowships, these are all expenses paid, come with airfare, allow artists time and space to imagine and create. We support uh, 20 new artworks each year on three arts projects, or we call it 3AP affectionately, which is a crowdfunding program in which three arts pays for one third of each project. And I think the last I looked, we've supported 157 projects on that platform. And in something that's very unusual for crowdfunding platforms, we have a 100% success rate. So every artist has made or exceeded their goals. We also have professional development programs like financial planning and helping artists learn how to make accessible art. Um, I won't go into a lot of details about that. And we put a lot of effort in coaching and promotion as well. So we like to say it's we will be with each artist, I'm looking at you, Brian and Robbie, for the rest of your lives or until you don't want us anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Let's uh, use that as a segue and talk about you guys. Um, Robbie, tell us about yourself, and you're a dancer. Mm-hmm. Kind of tell a, your life story to the point of how you became involved in the arts and why it's so important to your life. Yeah. Okay. So um, my name is Robbie Lee Williams, as you already said. Um, <laughs> i uh, formerly a military brat. My father is a... 31-year Navy veteran. Uh, So I grew up kind of a little bit of everywhere. We were moving every two to three years, kind of figuring out how to navigate new groups, new people constantly. Uh, And so finally I I entered the arts late, uh, probably around uh, junior year of high school, uh, by way of musical theater. And from there came to the dance world uh, as I came out here to Chicago. Um, I... Prior to my injury, uh, I was training and dancing semi-professionally as a tango dancer with Tango 21 here in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And then post my injury, uh, one of my physical therapists, uh, who was a professional dancer in the area, found me, uh, worked with me, and we were able to find Momenta here out in Oak Park, uh, which was great. It was a huge blessing. And from there, I was encouraged to apply for three arts to be a part of this uh, development uh, leadership program and it's been an incredible learning experience ever since Um, last year uh, I was awarded a three arts fellowship through bodies of work at UIC and was put through uh, an education program as well as an arts development program where I learned about disability justice disability advocacy uh, other artists in the area in the system and how to apply uh, my experiences as well as my disability, make it a part of my art. When you had your injury, was that the first thing you thought of? I can't dance anymore? Uh, the, the first thought originally was, oh, wow, I'm alive. That's great. <laughs> yes. It uh, probably went through your mind right away, right? Yeah. Um, and how did you learn that you wouldn't have to stop what you love to do? Uh, actually, through finding uh, the, 
videos of Momenta, uh, was able to see, oh, look, other people are still doing this thing. Um, and just this whole new avenue uh, was opened up to me. I had no idea that uh, artists with disabilities were active in the dance space. I'd never been exposed to it, never seen, heard any inkling of it whatsoever. And what was that like for you to return to what you love to do in a whole different way, your, your new life this way? Uh, it was an absolute joy. Um, yeah, I've loved every moment since. So tell us about Momenta and what they do and how you guys perform and practice and do everything normally like anybody else would as a dancer. So Momenta Dance Company, based out here in Oak Park, uh, in- includes uh, dancers of all abilities. Uh, we take some of uh, the student dancers here at the Academy of Movement, Movement and Music and have them uh, expose them to dancers of all abilities in our shows. Um, I was mentored by Chris Lenzo, uh, who is a dancer out here, um, as well as a three arts, uh, a three arts fellow, in the ways of kind of dancing and navigating the wheelchair uh, as I move, as I uh, learn to... You're probably thinking in a whole new way, right? <laughs> yeah. Choreography and timing and teamwork, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. tell us about that. Yeah, so every new piece now has to be approached from a brand new perspective. Uh, when I was, before my injury, the only thought was, okay, I know what my body can do. The other dancers I'm dancing with, we're all very, very similar. We can do whatever we want. It's all stuff I already know. Um, but now with the, with the aspect of my wheelchair, it's like, oh, there's a whole new avenue of things we can do. My wheelchair is not just how I get around. It's also a tool for, uh, for making the dance more expressive, yeah. bringing in new aesthetics. Um, like during um, one of the dance pieces that we put together with Momenta uh, called Duet and C, um, choreographed by Sarah Nahara, uh, my dance partner Julia Cox and I used a lot of the wheelchair aesthetics to move. Like uh, there's a lot of locomotion where as I am moving my wheel, I'm going up and down and up and down and up and down. Mm-hmm. And Julia had a... Um, a transposed movement where she had her arms uh, around in a rounded shape and as she chasseed across the stage was also moving her arms up and down, up and down, almost like a train wheel. So we looked like one train car just working together to move across the stage. Did you ever know anything like that existed before you were involved in it? No idea. <laughs> it was incredible. I bet. And what did it feel for you to get back on stage after what you'd been through? Uh, it was a ton of fun. Um, what I love most about creating art um, is just not just the, the the process of thinking through this new these new pathways, but also um, just exposing other people to this culture um, that a lot of uh, people aren't aware is out yeah, there. Right, Brian, tell us about yourself. You're a Director and producer, correct? Yes. Okay, yes. so tell me how you got involved in the theater and the arts and all that stuff. Were you, did you do that as a kid, or did it kind of come upon you? Or Yeah, I was involved in uh, performing, at the very least on stage, from a very young age, probably just because I craved attention and needed it so much. <laughs> uh, but I started in choir, actually. I started in the children's choir, and uh, then I was... Um, uh, cast in a couple of uh, children's choruses uh, in for the Minnesota Opera. I'm from Minneapolis, uh, and that got me on stage performing as an actor for the first time. Uh, and from there, uh, I started uh, doing you know musicals at the theater, or uh, sorry, musicals in uh, middle school and junior high. Uh, and when I was injured, uh, when I was 13 years old, mm. uh, back in the um, 
mid or early to mid nineties, uh, I kept doing it uh, because you know everyone knew me, everyone uh, was familiar with me, and I, I kept doing it through um, through the beginning of high school. Uh, but then I sort of looked around and I realized that. Uh, you know, there weren't many opportunities for someone that looked like me, for someone in my position. Uh, the roles in uh, television and film uh, written for people with disabilities were either performed by people who were not disabled or were written as characters to serve other characters, to, um, you know, help the main character grow and learn and develop as a person. They, the, the characters with disabilities didn't really have their own story, didn't have their own arc, weren't real people. They just served as a function to someone else. And that's not necessarily what I was interested in. And also, no one at the time was, uh, as far as on stage theater went, you know, no one was thinking about casting Hamlet uh, as an actor with a, with a disability. Uh, so it wasn't really a place that I saw myself in, uh, and I saw, I didn't really see a future for myself there. And so I realized that, you know, if I wanted to keep being involved in theater, I would have to find another outlet. And so that led me to directing, sort of assistant directing and directing, uh, short plays and, and musicals in, in high school. Uh, and then I went to a, uh, summer theater camp, essentially at, at Carnegie Mellon, uh, and they had some directing classes there as well during that time. Uh, and I realized that this is great. This is, this is an absolutely viable path that I can take and uh, will let me express myself creatively, uh, keep me involved in, in theater and on stage um, in an area that I think is more suited to uh, my physical situation at the time. Do you find, though, that better late than never, that is becoming more accepted. I mean, Ellie Stroker won the Tony for Oklahoma, and she, was, she made history, but you thought, why did it take this long, right? What did that mean to you? You're talking uh, about how. Yeah, you know. it's, I mean, it's, it's incredible to see that happening now. And like a lot of things as far as access and inclusion and, and rights and things like that, it should have happened 20, 30 years yeah. ago, of course. I guess that's my point. Um, <laughs> The uh, uh, and it's not just visibility, but the opportunities allowed. Allowed is a terrible word. The opportunities available to you know performers, artists, writers, directors, dancers, uh, visual artists with disabilities. Is, you know has only been aided and I think la helped launch as a catalyst by you know the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, uh, in helping physical spaces be accessible. I mean, it's hard to be a dancer when you can't get into the studio. It's hard to be an artist if you can't, you know, if there aren't any art studios available that you can get into. It's hard to be uh, a disabled person in the world if, you know, you can't, if you don't have access, if you can't get in, if if uh, um, you are physically limited by the buildings that house what you want to do, um, so it's. I, I think we're at a a hopefully we are at a tipping point mm -hmm. for um, opportunity and inclusion and being able to see yourself on stage on screen, uh, and that will be a, a, like a, it will be a catalyst for, you know, this next generation of artists. I mean, when I was younger, I didn't see myself on stage because there were there was nothing, there was no one else like me on screen, on film that I could look up to, that I could say, that is a place for me. Mm -hmm. I can do that. Mm -hmm. 
And now, like you were saying, with um, you know more actors, more performers, more dancers, more artists, um, and also I think the advent of social media for all of its ills, uh, you know, people are documenting their lives. People with disabilities are documenting their lives and putting themselves out there. And it's a lot easier to see a wider variety of people doing a wider variety of things um, because it's much more accessible because of the internet, because of social media. It's, um, uh, it's a great platform to be able to see what your path could be as someone with a disability. And I think also show everybody in the world that someday it can be just the norm and no one's going to see you as different, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. And that's the ultimate goal here, I'm sure, right, Esther? <laughs> yeah, very much so. And I, you know, I think a lot about the fact that somewhere around 26% of just people in this country identify as disabled. Um, and I'm listening very intently to what Brian is saying because the truth is I think the arts world has gotten better at providing, for example, accessible seating, on occasion, audio description of, let's say, dance performances, captioning and things like that, although we have a long way to go. But what we haven't done is, you know, have sort of a wild breakthrough of deaf and disabled artists' stories and just, you know, roles being played by them on stages, on, on uh, gallery walls, etc. We have a long way to go there. And in addition to the kind of physical barriers that you talked about, uh, Brian, I would add there are other things, like if there is a fixed rehearsal schedule and someone wakes up and their you know, medical transport hasn't arrived or they're ill, what happens? It means they can't commit to being in a production of a theater. So it goes way beyond the stairs. It goes to schedule. It goes to will. I believe, you know, regarding the tipping point, I think we're all here trying to do our best to be part of the tip. And uh, that's a little bit of, you know, why Three Arts exists, too. We started this Disability Culture Leadership Initiative where Robbie and Brian and about, gosh, you guys, I don't know, 15 <laughs> other alums of the fellowship program that we conduct in partnership with Bodies of Work at UIC and now with School of the Art Institute as well and with Access Living as well, um, where we involve them in kind of a post-residency experience where these guys have done it where they engage in candid conversations with each other, which we produce, we videotape, we produce. And we recently created a whole new part of our website where all of these videos, plus their full transcripts and all of the accessible bells and whistles and links to all of their beautiful work can be found. And the notion is if we can be a super easy resource hub for our colleagues in the arts near and far to meet some of the incredibly talented artists in Chicago um, and hopefully hire them, then we're being part of that tipping point. Mm -hmm. I mean, in the end, you know, we're all about helping artists do whatever they want to do. It's not about three arts, it's about them, right? And about um, kind of setting the stage for sustainability in their careers. So the DCLI, it's a long name, Disability <laughs> Culture Leadership Initiative, yes, DCLI, yes. is part of that. And you mentioned tipping point, of course. I'll just mention the Super Bowl yesterday. Did you see the um, football players who were from the School of Deaf? No, I haven't seen it yet. Yes, yes. Hard of hearing in deaf school. And they were all football players. And they were signing um, before the game. Did you see that? Yeah. So, again, it's, it's, it's there. You guys have been there. But now we're seeing it more of the mainstream in the pop culture. And I think that's a good thing, right? <laughs> exactly. Well, one of the things that I wanted to, to add, too, to what you were saying is that... Uh, 
one of the things, one of the many things that I think three arts, three arts uh, helps foster and encourage and build is uh, disabled community and disabled culture. Um, when I was injured, uh, and for many years, years after, I lived in Minneapolis um, in you know the the '90s and the early 2000s. Uh, I didn't feel a sense of disability culture or community. I felt like I was on an island uh, by myself, trying to navigate this on my own, um, and. Part of that maybe was because I, you know, didn't seek it out, but part of it was also because it didn't find me. Um, but having moved to Chicago, uh, it certainly found me. <laughs> um, and I feel like there is a disability, a disability culture here. There is a disability community here. There are other artists that um, I can go and support, that can support me. Uh, and that didn't really exist for a big part of my life, mm -hmm. uh, and so that's I think what one like like I said one of the many things that Three Arts helps do is uh, champion and foster and help build uh, this community and this culture. Um, and uh, also, I, I I also had a, a fellowship with uh, Bodies of Work and and UIC in conjunction with Three Arts, and that was a, a fantastic opportunity for me to. Uh, build and learn and, and sort of add tools to my toolbox and, and help me help set me out uh, on a stronger footing for sort of the next step in my career. Um, in addition, uh, you know, there, there was a, I, I can't remember what it's called, the, the micro grants. The, the uh, yeah, we, we uh, have an accessibility professional development workshop, basically, that when artists attend, the idea is because institutions do such a lousy job of often of making work accessible to audiences. Perhaps we can help artists learn how to make their own work accessible and become real advocates for that. Mm -hmm. And the end result is that we offer these micro-grants that, Brian, you're mentioning, of like $200 for any artist who wants to pay for something like audio describing a dance performance, for example. Wow. You mentioned, I think you've been quoted as saying this is the first time in your life you felt embraced and supported, and I think that's what you were getting at right there. Yeah. yeah. It's a big deal. It is. It is. It's um, uh, feeling like you're alone for such a long time and feeling like you have to uh, figure this out by yourself and that you're isolated and um, not necessarily socially, but, but you are sort of a unicorn out there and, and nobody really knows what to do with you <laughs> or how to uh, respond to you uh, is difficult. And, uh, you know, wasn't something that weighed on me too much at the time because you have to just keep going. You have to find a way to just keep moving forward. Uh, but looking back on it, it was, um, in retrospect, it was, it was challenging. It was difficult. Uh, but, you know, being here and being surrounded by so many other artists and so many organizations that help make things possible is, is um, uh, I feel like I can sort of relax. Yeah. Uh, Robbie, you feel the same way? Yeah. Um, actually, to, to build on that even... Um, another thing that uh, we did during our Three Arts Fellowship is we were able to, we were uh, granted time and uh, resources to seek out mentors, um, other people in the community to, uh, who have been in the arts, who have done this before, to, to be able to take in kind of their experience, their wisdom on, on the subject. Um, and I got a chance to touch base with Antoine Hunter, a deaf uh, dancer, out in the Bay Area, and it's it, it's just it was incredible because I got to learn about a whole nother aspect of the disabled community that I wasn't aware of, 
and see what they've done before. Um, and the reason why I had reached out to him was to learn how to make any of the, the new art that we're creating more accessible, more inclusive, to make sure that everyone uh, can enjoy it in some way or another. Um, and I got a chance to work with Andy Slater, who has also been in the Three Arts program, uh, who is a uh, blind sound artist here in the Chicago area. And we had long conversations about how do we make a dance show more uh, interesting for someone who is vision impaired or, or completely blind? How do we make this something for them as well? Um, so yeah, it's just this sense of community that we're, we're building. Um, I'm sure both of you be- have become mentors yourself. We're working on it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You get to the point in your, in your life, am I that old to be a mentor? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I think you guys are both setting examples for the next generation, and you mentioned that as well. Do you feel like that that's already happening? Uh, I certainly hope so. And, and, you know, even just being out in the world doing what we do, hopefully that is, is helpful as well. But uh, I also work at Victory Gardens as their access coordinator, uh, you know, helping to enhance access services for people who have... Uh, visual uh, in, uh, disabilities or impairments, and also people who are, are deaf or hard of hearing. Uh, and, and another side of that is also, you know, doing what we can to foster the next generation of, of, of artists. So providing scholarships to our classes for writers with disabilities, for designers with disabilities, um, uh, commissioning a new play by a disabled writer. Uh, so all of that is, is hopefully a way to... Uh, signal to the next generation that, you know, we're here, we're a resource for you, we're trying to create more opportunities for, for you like the others did before us. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think that, you know, hopefully we're, we're, we're doing something out there. <laughs> it sounds like you guys have more on your plate than ever, right? You have more work than ever, you sounds like. You're doing so many things for different theaters and things like that. Is that the case? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, sometimes it feels like it, although the past couple of years... Uh, sure, yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but yes, it's, it's, yeah, I don't, I don't really know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm yes. glad that all the work is coming back after mm-hmm. a couple of years of, you know, nothing in the arts and culture world. Everything's hopefully roaring back for the people that want to, you know, partake in the arts for sure. Do you find that's the case, Esther? Finally? I do. I do. <laughs> I mean, it's beginning, yeah. right? And we're sitting here without our masks on, so that's quite a triumph in <laughs> and of itself. <laughs> um, and I'm very hopeful. I mean, at the same time, I have to say that, you know, we were sort of always patting ourselves on the back at Three Arts that we were really good in terms of accessibility. And when the pandemic hit, we realized, like, there's a whole lot more we could learn and we could be better at and do better with. And so our comeback may end up being an interesting, much more accessible, hybrid sort of comeback where some things do stay online, you know, where you see a panel discussion or witness a panel discussion online um, but you go to the, to see Robbie dance or to see one of Brian's new plays being produced um, in person. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be interesting to see. But I, I love that we have a little bit more, I don't know, we can spread our wings in interesting ways right now. Yeah. And I'll speak for myself. I learned a lot. And, you know, all of our artist jury panels, all of the convenings that Brian was mentioning, the kind of getting together and forming community, those things are online. And uh, it makes it extremely accessible and, and easy for all of us. How do people get involved? And uh, if they're artists like them who would like to be involved in this, or do they apply for a grant, or how does that all work? 
so it's different for every okay. program. <laughs> okay. But I will say that uh, Brian and Robbie both mentioned that they were Three Arts Bodies of Work fellows. And with that program, we are looking, I'm not kidding you, 365 days a year for artists who are interested in three-month-long residencies and who are ready for them. Um, they come with, you know, stipends, monthly stipends, a lot of resources Robbie's gone into a bit, and community. Um, and so that's one way that you gain access. Uh, another is through the Three Arts Awards program. We actually enlist 35 new anonymous dominators every year, and I'm not going to tell you who they are, um, to select the candidate pool of about 120 artists each year for that award. In our Make a Wave Award program, though, we've kind of blown apart the institutional gatekeeper model, the traditional model of grant making, and invited past Three Arts awardees without Three Arts getting in their way or offering any opinion to select another group of artists to receive surprise unrestricted awards of, well, last year we had the biggest Make a Wave in history, uh, which I think we gave out 500, around 500 of them because... The pandemic was still raging, we wanted to do our part, and the wonderful Joyce Foundation came in and supported that. So we gave out $4,000 awards, and a whole, I think all of our past awardees did that. So there are various different access points, but regarding what I'd like to leave everyone with today is, you know, go to 3arts.org. There's a big black circle in the middle of our homepage that says Disability Culture. Pour yourself a cup of coffee, lean back, watch some of these videos. I think we have six of video conversations up online now. And get to know artists like Brian and Robbie and a whole ton of other incredibly talented Chicago artists. Um, and, you know, when you can, hire them. That's great. Great plug. Speaking of, why don't you tell us a little bit about your projects that are coming up? Got anything that we want to see? Sure, <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, so I am directing a show out in Sacramento coming up in a few months. Uh, that is a play by Preston Choi, who was a local Chicago playwright. He attended Northwestern's program. Um, but it's a play about uh, identity and, and, and apropos to this conversation, uh, how what you look like may not sync up with who you feel you are, right? Um, and after that, uh, I'm working with Northwestern University directing uh, their MFA uh, acting program in their summer showcase. Uh, and then after that, who knows? Great. What about you? Uh, so right now with Momenta, uh, I'm working with uh, Connor Cornelius, one of our other professional dancers, uh, and Julia uh, cox uh a disabled dancer and choreographer, to put together a piece with Crossing Borders. Uh, we're working with Ryan Gleave, over in the UK uh, to make a um, just a very uh, almost avant-garde-ish dance. Um, it's a ton of fun uh, working with Momenta to dance with the kids. That show is coming up in April. Uh, Momentadances.org is where you find the info for that. Uh, and then uh, I work with Reinventability right now uh, to uh, teach movement therapy to the kids at iCree, and that's just an absolute joy. Wonderful. My last question is, when we come to see you perform, what do you hope the audiences kind of come away with? That a deep question. <laughs> I guess a greater sense of empathy, a greater sense of understanding and compassion. Uh, a lot of the plays uh, I work on, or, or the way I find my way into a lot of plays I work on is through empathy and, and through compassion and through um, being able to see both sides of a situation. Uh, and see yourself in both sides of a situation. 
So hopefully that's what people leave with when they see one of my shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, in the same vein, whenever they see any of our dances, uh, the hope is that they see uh, an aspect of human existence that they haven't before uh, and that they can internalize that and see, oh, there are people like me in different situations around the world. This is the normal now. This is always been the normal uh, and it has always kind of been swept under the rug but we're going to shine a light on it i mean i think what at least what i would interject here is that i want to experience like the full spectrum of humanity when i experience the arts and i presently don't and so when these guys are on stage or their works are on stage i i vibe with some with some of that really deeply that this isn't about, you know, necessarily overcoming or being different or anything like that, but it's the full spectrum of humanity mm-hmm. here. And something else, and it's something you said, Robbie, that, um, you know, if you don't witness yourself in the arts, how will you know that there's even a way forward in the arts for you? And so there's a self-fulfilling prophecy in that. If you don't know that there's a path there and you're not supported on that path, then you won't end up there. Mm-hmm. And then the arts aren't, you know, doing their radical best to change the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that phrase overcoming adversity is tricky because there are some things that you need to overcome. You need to, you know, if you have a spinal cord injury uh, like us, there are things you need to learn how to do again, like tie your shoes and get dressed. I mean, there are things, there are adversities you need to overcome. Um, but I feel like that phrase has been, the implication of that phrase uh, has meant being normal again yeah. right but it's all, all new normal yeah and, and so that sort of implies that that you're sort of not supposed to be it implies that there's less accepting of who you are now or the new you mm-hmm. um and so it's tricky so yes there are things you have to overcome there are there are challenges that you have to tackle and and solve um but there is also a, a, a point of accepting who you are and, and, and understanding who you are and the world also accepting who you are <laughs> right. and understanding who you are. Yeah. So it, it's a complicated phrase, overcoming adversity, and I think it, it applies to some things and, and doesn't to others. Do you find that the word acceptance is becoming, you know, you know, we talk about theater and we think, well, they accept everyone, but, you know, it, it's, it's, it's catching up with itself. I think so. And you mentioned that as well, that um, it's finally catching up. Do you, do you hope, you, you see that still, you know, running with momentum into the future? Yeah, I think the, well, we, we talked a bit about the tipping point, and I think that can only be helped by numbers and by momentum, right? And, you know, people who are my age, uh, who have disabilities, um, you know, we... Well, let me, step, let me step way back. It wasn't too long ago where people with disabilities, of any kind of disabilities, were sequestered, were secluded, were, were rounded up, for lack of a better word, and put in institutions, right? We were, we were shuttered from view. Um, and, you know, a generation after that, or a couple generations after that, are now, we're out in the world trying to live their lives, but without a lot of support, uh, and now I feel like we're at a point where we have a lot of support and we just need enough numbers and we just need enough people who are invigorated and excited and um, 
willing to put themselves out there and be role models for whoever's next. And so I feel like once we get that critical mass, um, things will really start to, to change and happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely agree with that. Because even growing up um, in high school, um, all of a- any of the children with disabilities were put into a separate class, sequestered away from the rest of us. So I had had almost no inter- no experience with them until we graduated when we started actually meeting our our other students um and so like brian was saying now we're we've got we're people are starting to see us more they're starting to accept us as hey this is this is here this is human um and oh yeah you're just a person just a person yeah (laughs) you're a person like me (laughs) yeah and with uh another positive of social media um, is that with uh, pe- uh, people with disabilities, artists with disabilities, sharing their lives more and more and more, uh, more people are being uh, exposed to it. They're allowed to see us as we are and learn more about us and see themselves in us. And that I think that exposure uh, is hypercritical to keeping that momentum that we we have now. Hopefully we're a part of that as well. Thanks you guys for joining us. It's been enlightening and I wish you luck with everything you guys do in three arts and that you're really setting great examples. I always talk about the next generation, but that's what we're here for, right? (laughs) Thanks so much. Thank you. you. Esther Grimm, Robbie Lee Williams, and Brian Balcom. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the first season of Backstage Chicago. We'll be taking a break for the next few weeks, but don't miss season two, which will begin the end of March, where we'll visit with the folks from Ravinia and talk with them about the upcoming season. We'll also have a few laughs with the comedians of the World Expo of Comedy as it holds its inaugural event here in Chicago, and we'll explore the world of burlesque. That's all coming up on season two of Backstage Chicago. Listen to the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, 
celebrity interviews, or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Hey. 